Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For just $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all the past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or smugfilm.com or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes. Plus, we will do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your movie, your small business, how cool you are, your Twitter handle, whatever it is, we'll plug it. For $10 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes. Plus, we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on every single episode of the show. That's four episodes a month. That's an incredible deal. So once again, the URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Yes. And Jenna Ipcar. No. All right, so today we are talking about Pee-wee's Big Holiday, which I loved. I thought was incredible. I've seen twice by now. Jenna, what was uh, your take? Because uh, you didn't like it as much as me. And, And John, what was your take? Because you... Didn't like it much at all, it seems, but we're going to tackle it today and we're going to see if we can find some common ground and some uncommon ground with this masterpiece of a film that these people, for some reason, did not register as a masterpiece. We were also talking about loots before, so we might talk about loots. We might squeeze loots in because we we have a newfound obsession with loots. Sometimes we'll talk about random things before we start recording, and today we were talking about loots. Turns out loots... Date back all the way to ancient Egypt. Yeah, they were the first and lamest instrument. We were trying to figure out, and please call in about this. At a certain point, the lute went from like the coolest instrument you could have to the least cool instrument possible. You know, I think it might have been the uh, the Enlightenment. When the Enlightenment happened, a major feature of it was lute guy no longer got laid. Yeah. If any of you are like medieval musical experts. You know, our normal crowd. Yeah. Well, it's that top of the lute that really fucks it up because it goes off into the air and then back. Yeah, it's trashy. It's it trashy goes, looking. Eh. No, I think it's the tights. Yeah, I think they that always was... <laughs> were. were eh. They are kind of a prerequisite. Yeah, yeah. It would you be know. interesting to see a dude like tear up on a lute in like sweatpants or like Jenkos. Like, yeah. the, you know, with a Kangol parachute pants. Yeah. You never see a, a, a loose jeaned lute player. No, you never. There's no wallet chain and loot overlap. No. So yeah, we we're, we've been thinking about loot. Send in your loot thoughts. Seven one eight three nine five nine seven one one. We'll play if them on a future. Any of you have app. a loot? Oh God! Please play please it. Please play it. Please play we're, the Sir Robin Monty Python song for me on your loot. Go for it. We will air that for sure. That'll <laughs> take uh, priority over any other voicemails we've got. No doubt. Actual loot, please. All right, so back to Pee-wee's big holiday, which, like I said, I loved. Jenna, you not so much. Parts, right? You liked parts? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I thought that it, it was definitely 
it was nostalgic in a good way. It you know it made me realize how much I miss Pee Wee Herman, and it was funny, but it wasn't. It was missing some the it was missing the real Pee Wee magic for me, which I think I would accredit to the what I call uh, copyright trademark the Judd Apatow stink. It had the Judd Apatow stink on it. What what does that what does that smell like? It's it's like that man child thing. Except that, so like Pee-wee's a great example of that because watching Pee-wee's Big Holiday, I realized how much that, you know, like Pee-wee was made at a time when man-child wasn't like the thing that was like funny and happening in every movie. Well, it wasn't a bro thing. It was like more of like a boyish Well, that's the thing is that I think Pee-wee was more childish and not man-child. There was, you know, so like there was something about this movie that kind of went into a weirder dimension with it. And it pushed him out of the world that he was previously in. And I didn't really like it. Like with having Joe Manganiello sort of be Joe Manganiello in the movie took away from the Pee-wee world for me. Because it was like this weird point of reference. So like now I have to believe that Joe Manganiello is this like man child, you know, like so it, it just but like all of, you know, having seen True Blood and having seen Magic Mike and having seen other movies that he's been in and then, you know, knowing that he's like married to Sofia Vergara, you know, like I know the stuff about him. So like, I didn't really buy that. He, I, you know, it felt like he was putting on a show for me and then that put Pee Wee in a weird light. So like that whole thing kind of was weird for me. I don't I didn't know that you have it. to believe anything new about Joe Manganiello. That was the but, best part yeah, of the movie. That was the greatest. Cause that's how I say his <laughs> name is Joe Manganiello. Mm. But every, yeah, that's how everybody would pronounce it. Merci, Bublé. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think you have to believe anything new about about Joe. I think he's just, this is Joe in Pee-wee world, you know? But then Pee-wee was lacking some some more childish instincts that it came across more as like spoiled child. And he didn't get so much as like that sort of, you know, like in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which is a masterpiece. P.S. I rewatched that recently, too. Are you a big top Pee-wee fan, though? You know what? That's one I can't. I have to rewatch that because I, I remember it. it as a kid. I remember liking it and thinking it wasn't as good as Big Adventure. It isn't, but it's great. And I have I haven't seen it since. And I probably have it on VHS, and I should dig it out. And I tried tried to do it in time for this one, and I just couldn't find it. Well, it's a it's a good one. I feel like I'm the resonant Pee Wee expert because I probably like him more than you guys. Uh, I like Pee Wee a lot. Pound off in movie theaters a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, I I really love Big Top. I mean, um, Big Adventure. I love that movie. I think that's a perfect film. That's like a five star for me. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, movie. I think that's. I mean, obviously that's the best one. It's always going to be the best one. It, it hits something that was just perfect. But yeah, I and think, his TV show I love. Yeah, of course. And I have, I have actually the, um, the action figure of the house. Mm. I have that whole house and I have most of the figures. Nice. That's like so a like good collectible. Set, right? Yeah. The whole play set. But, um, like the other thing. So re- in comparison to big adventure, which is maybe a bad way to look at it because I'm not, you shouldn't be comparing. I don't think you can compare any of them. I think they all have their own peewee universe to them. They do. Which I like. I like that they kept to that because big top peewee, it resets. And with this new one, it resets like right. there's carryover, but not really. And it's kind of its own interpretation of Pee-wee, much like like the Zelda games. Like it's always Link, but like it doesn't connect to the other ones, but it sort of does. It's like it's always kind of a reset. This is the second episode in a row where you give an extended Zelda metaphor for the movie. Did I really in the last yeah. one? 
What did I say? Or maybe it was two. No, it was the was the Cloverfield one the last one? Yeah. 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 You were talking about the uh, the monster having I a weak was. spot. What's going on? I, I haven't played the Zelda Somebody's game. Somebody's got to play some Zelda. Ages. Get it out of the system. Shit. I guess I got to play some Zelda. You're right. I do have some weird latent Zelda love. Yeah. That's coming to the surface. It's a bubbling and a broiling. Oh my. I guess a boiling. If it was broiling, that really wouldn't be a big deal. Right. It would just be sitting there. Boiling is a yeah. problem. Because it can boil over. Yeah, it's percolating. Start spilling into other facets of my life. Which is what's happening right now. Clearly. Wow. But yeah, it's it's Zelda-y. So with like Big Adventure, you have you have Tim Burton and you have that Danny Elfman music. That music makes that whole movie. With a different soundtrack, that movie wouldn't be perfect, right? It's like, a perfect Pee-wee music. The perfect music. With the TV show, you had this great art direction. So you had this really strong artistic style. You had Wayne style. White. You had uh, Gary Panter influence. You had like all that swirling avant-garde, like yeah. early 90s, late 80s stuff coming in. And Big Top also had that very, it had that circus, you know, that like its own strong theme, right? Yeah. And then the with this- yeah, the setting was perfect. And then with this one, I felt like they broke. They, they it was it was too. That that's also another Judd Apatow thing. It was too grounded in like the the realisticness. Whereas like the other movies felt more stylized and comic booky, and like you know there was there were their own little worlds. The fact that like Pee Wee's Texas was such a stereotype of Texas, but to like the the nth degree. You mean you in know? Big Adventure. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, and I think that all of the, the peewees have that to some degree. And I really love that. That's what makes me love those movies. Whereas this one felt more like, well, he's in New York. You know, it wasn't like New York where it could have, it should have been like Joe's apartment, New York, if it was going to be I New York. I thought it was like that. I thought it was kind of like Joe's apartment, New York. How? Because it, like when he's in New York... He's kind of just like walking through backdrops, essentially. Right. And they're singing and he gets lost in a well. Yeah. And it, it, you don't get lost in the well in, in real New York. There aren't like. Not in Manhattan, at least. There I mean, maybe in Queens. Yeah. <laughs> there aren't unguarded manholes Certainly in Staten Central Island. Park. And I don't know. I liked it. It was good. It wasn't bad. It just was a little, it just lacked that sort of artistic flair, I think, that comes with all the other Peewees. It also I'm comes with, with the budget. With Jenna problems. on this one, but I don't think it has anything to do with Apatow. I think it really is the director didn't really have a spark. Burton in the late eighties was really, it's, it's hard to remember now because he's become sort of a trash figure. Oh yeah. This is when but, his, that was his best. Yeah. I mean, it's in my his favorite prime, thing he's ever done, yeah. in his prime, he really had a wonderful eye for, for creating something out of very little and making it feel indelible. Mm. And there was no, uh, there was no visual flair to this at all. There was nothing that um, really gave you this sense of sort of like magic. Yeah, because but because Burton could really do this this feeling of like a slightly magical, like off kilter, you know, like Willy Wonka type of feel without having to do that much, even to the story to do it. It's just having like a clown, like you know the, yeah. the that nightmare he has in Big Adventure with all the clowns working yeah. on his bike. It's such a simple, it's just lighting. Yeah, just visually, it, he really, he had something. And and like you say, that Elfman music was just extraordinary because he had the same ability. And in this, it just feels like Paul Rubens is working with a slightly lower class of collaborator. Well, which it sounds was, mean, but... It's, it's what's his name? Rust, right? Um, helped him write the script. Paul Rust? Yeah. The script had, I think, a lot of problems. I think it didn't really know... 
what was the most interesting part about it. Because if the whole movie was like a Russ Meyer parody with him with those three girls, it would have been fantastic. That was one of the strongest so good. interludes was that, with the girls. That was the only part of the movie that really caught my interest mm-hmm. um, because it was such a sort of fun take on on something that's not really explored much, but yeah. it's a really good. But yeah, it's a cool interlude because it's 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 this sort of um, it's this little uh, glimpse at something that that everybody's familiar with, but somehow isn't really explored that often certainly never parodied and it's such a good counterbalance to peewee's um shtick yeah you know the the contrast between the the grimy and like sexual with his his uh childishness is like what these should be and usually are see but that they kind of weirded me out because they were too sexual except that they were still sort of they were they were more stylized and they had that like 50s like you know dream girl kind of look to them and i like that that was a 60s look they were doing uh faster pussycat kill kill but that like, was those were weird. the same outfits it was black faster. and white 60s yeah. yeah it just was weird that was a weird mix with peewee i mean there's nothing in the first there's nothing with those the peewee like tv show or movies that i remember maybe big yeah, there is he i mean he draws from uh 50s and 60s like uh toys and stuff and 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 kitsch and i think that would fall into that yeah it was well, no, there's that. In that way, but whether or not it had any resonance with the rest of the series i don't really give a shit about um because i know i'm not but it just felt like look at these attractive really, uh, women with big boobs like that's kind of what get that, that feeling like. at all from it even though it's i, actors I thought it I was like. um i thought they were very funny and it was it was a very strong contrast to peewee if there's no contrast with peewee then i don't see the point of making the movie you know if it's just this dude that everybody kind of rolls with and he's like slightly different from them then what's the point that's not a movie but if it's like the best scene from any of the peewee stuff i can remember is the the biker bar in texas in peewee's big adventure because it's a contrast Mm -hmm. because he's he's in opposition to a different kind of um overdrawn stereotype and that was they had that same sort of thing here and it really kind of worked uh and then it sort of didn't amount to anything and didn't go anywhere i mean i'm not like a peewee person in general i think the uh the show what i've seen of it was really sort of innovative and the two movies were fun and i liked them um but you know it's like if they made another war games you know what i mean like i really like war games but like i would never call myself like a war games fan or like a like anybody indebted They're probably to the, out there. If the you're, spirit of war games. If you're listening and you're you go hard with war games, please call in. <laughs> I mean, it's a really good movie. Just like Pee Wee's Great Adventure was a really good movie. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not on any of the war games message boards, right? And like, if if they did a war games tune, it was kind of different, but it was good. I would prefer that to like a war games two that was nostalgic and the same and and shitty you wouldn't donate to the crowdfunding campaign for war games too but you'd probably watch it when it came out maybe yeah and that was my position here Mm -hmm. and like the stuff i found the most interesting was the russ meyer type stuff in the middle and um when they were looking at the scale model of the town because i thought it was a nice looking visual that really they didn't do that much with if you think of uh actually another burton movie uh, in Beetlejuice, when they had the small model of the town, yeah. the way they shoot it oh, gorgeous. is so lovely. You know, you have those sweeping shots through the town with them in the background, and, and they play with the scale a lot. You know, like, 
there are shots where you're not sure if you're looking at the little thing or the big thing and they trick you with the scale. Well, the opening of the film with the, yes, the spider exactly, is, is yeah. brilliant. There was nothing like that with this here. It was right, just a yeah, prop. It was, it was like straight up a prop. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. really it was, bland. But that's a that's a great point because that that speaks to a director's instinct and yeah. if it's there or if it's not there. Clearly, this director didn't have that same instinct of uh, approach towards the miniature. Well, it lacked that childlike wonder. That's what it really lacked. Is like you know, if you yeah. watch the first Pee Wee when he wakes up and he has a model train, he has his slippers that look like two rabbits, and he's they're like sniffing a carrot. You know, like he's everything he interacts with is like whoa, look how cool this is, even if it's something dopey. Yeah, and they start that in the beginning, and then it fizzles. It totally, they drop it after, like, the opening scene. But and also, just sort of mechanically, the way he handles some of those gags, like, is not very good. I mean, when he's in the, the snake place, and um, you find out that, like, all the things aren't really snakes except the one that is, you know, like, there's no, it's not handled like a gag. Like, it doesn't escalate. Right. You know, think about how, Burton would do think about how fucking Charlie Chaplin would do that you know you would have it you would start small and it would like reverse and then it would get bigger and bigger and it would like build and it would have a climax and in this it was just like shit that happened and and sort of was going on in the background of an unrelated scene and same with the Rube Goldberg thing at the beginning which was right out of Buster Keaton I mean that was the opening of um the Buster Keaton Fatty Arbuckle one where they're in the mechanical house but in that every phase of the Rube Goldberg machine was bigger or was different or wasn't what you expected. And in this, it was just sort of the same thing that kept going. Yeah. And like, you know, cause the one in big adventure too had, it was funnier because half of it was useless. Yeah. <laughs> it like was it, it, had, dense. it was very dense. It had gags within the gag. Right. Yeah. And that, like, you know, like when they, the, the, um, pancakes would just hit the ceiling yeah. yeah like it like nothing happened and then suddenly his food was there in the face of a shape and you're like in yeah, the yeah, shape yeah. of a face sorry <laughs> face, in the, the face, face of, of a shape, shape. <laughs> but uh but, yeah yeah i agree and this it was just everything did what you expected it to do when right. you saw the first frame of it yeah it was just too i don't know there's something i don't know it felt more like that sort of and i think this is another thing i credit to Ap- apatow is that idea of like an adult looking at what they think kids would like as opposed to like what a kid's actually excited by I like, think I that's feel on like, the director. I don't think that's Apatow. Maybe it's the director too. I mean, the director is the one sitting there putting the shots in order. Yeah. The director is the one who's sitting there on the day and has to decide, you know, this rocket's going to go this high and the skis are going to come out here. I mean, that that was the stuff that was But Paul Rust is like an Apatow weak. guy. I don't know. He very, he's very hands-on old Apatow, so that's why I don't trust him. <laughs> it's like I feel his, feel his hands, his invisible hands all over stuff. I don't trust him. Well, you know, whether it was him or it wasn't. Um, but I agree. The no, point I mean, is it the is a, the director, right? I mean, and that's the other thing is maybe it's unfair to compare like a Phil Hartman script, you know, with like Paul Russ. But I don't think it is because this is a sequel. Um, and I know I was saying earlier, if War Games 2 came out and it was different but better, I'd be fine with it. If it was different but worse, I wouldn't. You know, like he, they're putting themselves in direct competition with those earlier scripts. True. So they should be able to be, even if they're different, and they should be different, as good or better. Otherwise, what's the point? This felt like a nostalgia trip in a really bad way for me, where they, they saw a market opening and thought people would see another Pee Wee movie. So they didn't put in the work to make it a really good one, which was kind of how I felt about Netflix revivals of a lot of things. I think they're revival of um arrested development was clearly like that it was yeah. horrible the that revival, one was horrible yeah the revival of trailer park boys took two seasons to get off the ground 
the first time I came back, it really had that feel of like they didn't know why they were back. And even still, the 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 last season was closer, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly at the mark because um, it still had that sense of being sort of a revival. This felt like a revival, which I'm not interested in. I don't care if you're going to revive something. I care if you have a cool script and you want this character to come back for it. How much of this is on Paul Rubens? I don't know. He, you know, he's like 66. <laughs> he I does saw, not look it. He I looks saw an great. interview that he, yeah. this wasn't actually the Pee Wee movie that he wanted to do. He had two scripts and Apatow yeah. was like, no, you got to do something that's like big adventure. And uh, he was like, all right. And they like acquiesced. And that was what how were the movie his scripts was like. He wanted to do, he had two ones. He, he had one that was a darker take, which he hasn't ever really said much more about. Yeah, he was going to make is. these Maybe in the he's early a werewolf. <laughs> he was going to make them in the early 2000s, yeah, right? Yeah, these are scripts that have been floating around forever. Yeah, he I heard about this. one that was a darker take and one that was more playhouse oriented. And that's all he's ever, ever said about these two scripts. But Apatow was like, no, I'll do one like Big Adventure. Yeah, which they shouldn't have because they just couldn't have topped it. I don't know. I just can't think of any, you know, like even if you went on another road trip. Well, I thought it was different enough. You no, know. it was different enough. I don't know. I see. I liked it. I didn't like leave it being angry or thinking it was terrible, but I also kind of felt like, well, that was like a fun trip, but now I really want to rewatch the originals. You know, like I it, felt super bored. I felt like every, every scene just sort of was there and then kind of fizzled, you know, like there was never any sense of um, anything. I can't even think it. of a, a single scene that I didn't like. I liked all the scenes. I, did, I thought the, the snake thing was was a terribly done gag. That was bad. Um, the opening, like all this stuff with him in the um, diner until Joe showed up was kind of boring because yeah. like it was the same thing over and over. Why didn't his diner food all look like in the shape of face or something? You know, like. Yeah, that could have been. They could have had a lot of fun with that. Other just than, like that. Like yeah. that could have been the only thing that they did. Like it what been... it was is he was standing in a diner cooking diner food and that was it. Right. You know, and you look at that and it's another thing where like you think think about how Buster Keaton would do that. That's when they should have done all the Rube Goldberg stuff. Totally. Yeah, that would have been great there. You know, he could have had spring loaded hands coming out of the walls helping yeah. him cook everything. It could have been really a fun thing. And it was, it was just, yeah, it was just the him whole and a movie, It felt like an outline. Like it felt like they came up with where they wanted to put him and then they just put him there and hoped for the best. I will. I mean, a couple of things made me laugh out loud. Like I liked when he was sitting at the dinner table with all those daughters of the farmer. And like, that was, that felt Tim Burton. That, that felt like an outline because it felt Tim Burton-y, but they never did anything with yeah, it. Yeah, nothing happened. But I did like when they're all holding hands or like, do you want to say a, a few words? And he's like, yes encyclopedia uh that was great yeah i liked that i liked when they were sitting when the two of them were sitting at the diner together and they were uh talking at the same time yeah i mean it's like an old gag but i thought that was really fun i like them in the treehouse because it, it was too small yeah like that's that was sort yeah, of the visual. dimensions of the treehouse was great yeah yeah and then i also and there liked... really wasn't much of that you know there were so many locations and none of them had a look right that's, yeah, know, that's what that I wanted was more room, style. That motel room could have been the same motel room in No Country for Old Men. <laughs> you know, there was like nothing to it. Right. That's why I, I think you, you have this feeling like what you were saying earlier that, you know, like it didn't feel like the old stuff. I, I think a lot of that is it doesn't feel like it's anywhere. 
Yeah, it just didn't have there was no production. A coherent. Yeah, there was no. It was just like find a room. Great, found a room. Whereas everything and all the other Pee Wee, every Pee Wee thing is like was made for Pee Wee, or it's like fits perfectly in his world. You know, like those the yeah. dinosaurs on the side of the road was like, yes, this needs to be in a Pee Wee movie. Like, I also like that his middle name was Aloysius. That was funny. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hell of a middle name. If you if your middle name's gonna be anything, you you kind of hope it'll be Aloysius. Yeah. So what what did you like the most? I want to I really want to hear what what like inspired you by it. <laughs> inspired me. Yeah, like why like what did what made did you really you like to it? Pound off in a movie theater again? <laughs> yes. Um, what were your favorite I jokes? The, I think the jokes either work or they don't work for you. A lot of my favorite like funny stuff in it wasn't even like actual jokes. It was just like the names of the members of his group. Like when they're like when he's saying their names, like that was really funny to me. I don't remember that. When he, he's meeting with the renegades in his diner. What were their names? I forget their names, but I just remember the rhythm of the names. Of oh, they had like really 50s, them. 60s names, yeah, right? They were yeah, just they were just great. Like, like that cracked me up a lot. There was a lot of, like a lot of my favorite Pee Wee stuff in general. It's not about the joke. It's about uh, how people talk to each other just in general. You know, it's just the uh, the rhythms that people get into. Like I like that better than... The jokes. And I think in when it comes to like a peewee joke, usually it's very corny, but it's corny in like a by design way. You know, it's not corny in a this is the best we could come up with. It's like corny in a we're putting this in there because it just fits and it enhances the uh, the entire um, it's kitschy. Yeah, it's kitschy, but it also enhances like the universe. It's like, I know you are, but what am I out of context? like has no inherent meaning, but in Pee-wee's big adventure, it takes on this like higher meaning where it fits in with uh, everything else that's going on. Well, they tried to do that with Arriva Derchi in the newer one here. And I thought that they didn't, it was like a good throwback, but then they kept trying a little too hard. Well, like Arriva Derchi, like I just love that everybody settles on Arriva Derchi as yeah. like a goodbye well, I didn't mind that because I'd rather them try too hard than not try enough. I liked his let me let you leave. Yeah, that I liked. That was yeah. good. That, that was, was good. new and it fit. Let me let you let me go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a perfect peewee line. That was a good peewee line. And I also liked, you know, and uh, I like that he couldn't say manjana, which I think I already said, but I still really, that was great. And yeah. I liked when he's trying to explain who he was and he's like, for Magic Mike. And, and peewee's like... Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's like, you don't know Magic Mike? He's like, you'd think I would, but no. <laughs> that scene was very good. That If the movie was more like that, I, I would have liked it a lot. I love the uh, opening with the alien because it was a perfect, like, on-the-nose thing of, like, oh, fuck, this movie's going to be horrible. Like, it, it's like you see the alien and you're like, oh, but it's, like, winking at you. It's, like, leading you on. It's like, no, it's not going to be like this. I was wondering about the alien. I love that. I didn't get it. That was amazing. I I was I kind of liked it. I was kind of like, oh okay, but I but then I it, they didn't ever get that weird again, and I kind of wanted more of that in a way. It was a dream. I know, but there were so many dreams. That was the other thing. Is like I you know I forgot how many great dreams that I love Pee-wee that his, has. all his dreams about Joe were in Spanish. Those were fun. That, that was, was funny. amazing. That's that a, good. that's the kind of touch that like adds so much with so little that just enhances the universe 
It's like just for his dreams to be them talking in slow motion in Spanish. It's just perfect. That felt a little YouTube to me, but not in like a terrible. That's what I mean. Like it just did. It seemed off brand, but like it just seemed it was funny. It still made me laugh, but it seemed a little too like what everyone else does. I think that's what maybe I was mixed about is that some of their jokes were just a little too like it could have been anyone. Whereas like Pee Wee, I think it's like real specific. I don't know. It felt very Pee Wee to me, man. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm probably the biggest peewee nut of the bunch. Uh, so I'm, you know, it, it's just it's peewee world. It's it's happy place for me. I loved it. If if you're listening and you're a peewee person, you're gonna love it. I think so. I think we can all agree, perfect movie. <laughs> Check it out. Great fun. I've actually never seen it. This is all guesswork. Yeah. Yeah, John, uh, John's going into this one cold. The twist is I've never seen almost any of the movies that we've talked about on this show. Yeah, people are always like congratulating you on like, oh, he knows so much about movies and film history. I make it all up. You you look this stuff up. It's not verifiable. I've seen Rocky Four. That's it. It's the only movie I've seen. A lot <laughs> of the stuff he says about film history and is not real. I've seen Jumanji and Rocky Four. Well, half of Jumanji, the first half. Right. I assume it continues along that line. I assume the animals take over. Yeah, one would. And the world is is just devastated by the end. Yeah. But those are the only movies I've seen. What about What Dreams May Come? You ever see that? No. Is there a Jumanji in it? So, Robin Williams. Is there a Jumanji in it? There's no Jumanji in it. Spoiler alert. I'm trying to to entice him. Spoiler alert. There's no Jumanji in What Dreams May Come. I actually really like What Dreams May Come. I like when Herzog shows up in hell. All right, we'll be right back. See you soon. And now, Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Is this a shifter car? I cannot drive a shifter car. All right, so we got a little situation here. I can't drive these kind of cars. What the fuck is going on? You think that's funny? Would you like to know, smartass? Would you like to know why I can't drive this kind of car? I'll tell you why. I'm used to luxury cars. Have you ever heard of a luxury car? You know what luxury means. Ever heard of Cadillac? Cadillac Eldorado. That's what I drive. I drive cars that shift themselves. This has been a robot reenactment. Now, back to the show. Hello, I am the hunky smug film sponsor plug man. I'm here to tell you about the fine people who support the smug film podcast through Patreon. You all should check out Bobby Slow on Twitter, he's a very funny and good man who tweets funny and good things and is worthy of your love. And he has a really good Twitter ratio of followers to following. That's impressive. Once again, that's Bobby, Slow, on Twitter. You should also check out Minor Key Games. Go on over to MinorKeyGames.com and check out these awesome computer games made by David and Kyle Pittman. Two brothers that make great video games with an old school feel. Cody hates new video games for the most part, but he enjoys the heck out of these. Once again, that's minorkeygames.com. Also, be sure to check out Room Full of Spoons, Rick Harper's documentary about the cult classic film The Room. It's a great documentary that we all love here as Smug Film, and go to roomfullofspoons.com to find out when it's coming to your city. Thank you for listening to my hunky voice, and thank you all who have donated to the show. And if you would like to be plugged on the show, please head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm and donate. And now, back to the episode. Hello. 
I am the new smug film voicemail plug lady. I'm sexier, better, and lovelier in every way. Anyway, please leave a question or a comment for the Smug Film Podcast at 718-395-9711, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening to my beautiful voice. And now, back to the show. And we are back. <laughs> Got ourselves a voicemail, because I forgot to play it at the start. It's a Pee-wee's uh, big holiday voicemail. That was the whole reason why we were doing this topic, and I forgot to play the voicemail. So Wait, here's... T.O., why don't we just play it at the top? I think it's fine. I'll, I don't want to go back and stick it in. I, w- I want to own up to let's my mistake. If, let's see if we have any reaction. I think it's a little embarrassing. I think we should just play it. Because the dude's going to listen to the whole episode and be like, oh, they're boning me. <laughs> they're putting me in the bone zone. But this is great. It's like a nice little twist for him. You know, he thought he got boned, but he didn't. Jenna, what do you think? Uh, I w- let's see if we have reactions, and then we can either bone them or not. <laughs> <laughs> this is the segment of the show we call Bone or Not. Hey there, guys. It's your friend Paul from L.A. I called a few months back to complain about a very merry Christmas, which I thought was not that merry or good or fun or worth watching again. I have another question to ask you guys about another Netflix film that just came out, which is called Pee-wee's Big Holiday. I'm like... Uh, Murray's very merry. I thought this one was actually more merry than Murray. It delivered a few big laughs. You know, it took a little while for me to get back into the whole spirit of Pee-wee, but uh, if I think about it, I also thought he was weird back when the classic Pee-wee Big Adventure came out. Uh, I watched that one when I was a kid. So anyways, I was wondering if you guys had a, uh, a chance to see this one. Plus, I also wanted to find out if you guys have any commentary but all these actors are visiting all these old roles. I'm not sure if this question of mine is a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit too lowbrow for your taste. It seems like uh, you guys could end up spending three hours talking about Man into the Spring or Grave of the Fireflies or the Cider House Rules. And I know how much you hipsters like to pretend you like these movies and could spend your Saturday night watching them instead of Zoolander 2 or Grease. Anyways... Love what you guys are doing. Keep up the good work and uh, power to the people. Ah, uh, Paul. All right, Paul. Please don't kill anyone in a clock tower. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we're hipsters. Paul, Paul hates know. us, and that's what I love about him. He, I just really want to be clear. Don't don't go into a clock tower <laughs> and start picking people off. It's a love hate thing with Paul. It seems I no, but I do believe he loves us. I and we love you too, Paul. Paul, I, the balloon scene was one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Completely forgot about it. It's probably a divisive scene. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. John? I don't even remember it. The, the balloon. Amish, the Amish the balloon scene. Giant balloon, squeaky. He's like, oh, what do you do okay. for fun? Yeah, that was okay. And they just play it. I love that they did it from inflation to deflation in real time with the whole crowd slowly walking. Yes, yes. That was genius. Beautiful. But uh, yeah, Paul, sorry for not playing you at the top of the hour. Sorry. That's our little passive aggressive jab at a middle of the hour. But, you know, the the love hate thing, it's kind of like it works that I didn't play it right away. You know, like, it genuinely wasn't on purpose. I will. Yeah. yeah. My apologies, Mr. Paul, Um, about actors revisiting older roles. He was saying he he said uh, these actors revisiting old roles, but I'm trying to imagine other ones except for like i guess indiana jones with that coming up uh and also star wars force awakens 
which I, th- I mean, we've touched on that, I think. But uh, I think just like De Niro in anything these days is like De Niro or Pacino. They're just rehashing old shit at this no, point. No, but De Niro's doing <laughs> no, but they're not playing the same stuff. character. Yeah. yeah, that's very different. But they are <laughs> Pacino too. He he did that movie Manglehorn with like David Gordon Green, and I didn't care for it, but it was a departure. And uh, De Niro with the Intern, a lot of people really liked the Intern. Either way, even if they were still doing what they were doing in the mid two thousands, it's not the same thing. They're not the same characters. Right. It's um, debatable. But uh, I, I'll, I'll say no. It's not. They're they're two very different. <laughs> things i mean there's being a type and then there's when they make another movie to get the money that the last one made again how do we feel about indiana jones 5 because what harrison ford says is exactly what i feel which is it's all smoke and mirrors anyway anybody saying he's too old to do the part doesn't understand that he's not in all those fucking like action shots like that's a bunch of stuntmen he can technically do it that's how movies are made like what I don't understand what the problem is. I think what annoys me about those remakes is that it's it's that he's older and they don't ever address it. That's what annoys me. If they was like, you know, even like how Sean Connery was treated in Indiana Jones, he was treated as an older man and he had limitations of an older man. And that's kind of what you want to see. It, you know, you like, want to see like crotchety, like croaky, like a uh, hip like replacement Indiana Jones. Well, here's the thing is like, you know, Sherlock Holmes is actually done fairly well where you show him at every point of his life throughout, you know, the story of Sherlock Holmes, there's young Sherlock Holmes and old up to old oh, yeah, and, and dying Sherlock Mr. Holmes. Holmes one. Yeah. And then they yeah. had one that just came out, which I didn't see, but you know, it has been done well in which he gets older, but he's still, because it's also very focused on his, you know, mental acuity. That's different than, you know, having to jump a fucking river i don't know like whatever indiana jones is doing well so, even like, in even in crystal skull there was that older like crazy character uh that showed right. up which like was almost like all right well we need an older crazier character to make him seem a little younger in comparison right which was okay that wasn't bad it doesn't have he doesn't have to be like this old guy who can't do shit it's just that like he his why don't why not focus on his, his intelligence? You know, like why not make it more problem solving Indiana Jones as opposed to like action Indiana Jones? Or does a character no longer exist if you take the action away? Like you know, I want I think that like it would be better to broaden the character than to continue the character as is, which doesn't really translate to an older person. I like that you said problem solving Indiana Jones because for me that's a lot of what Indiana Jones is because I grew up on the fucking graphic text adventure indiana jones games where it's pretty much all problem solving there was yeah. like a couple action parts but it was like press a button to hit a guy that you encounter kind of thing but in general i i love that like problem solving like lateral thinking aspect of indiana jones i always wanted them to do fate of atlantis as an actual indiana jones film the story for that for the game was perfect for an indiana an indiana jones film if you look at the cover of that game that like computer game it would be a gorgeous poster as like just a movie poster. It was it was perfect. And uh, I like that idea of a, a problem solving Indiana Jones where he gets a little bit older. Maybe there's obviously there's going to be obligatory action scenes, but I like the idea of him having to use his mind more and, and the lateral thinking aspect. Yeah, that would I don't know. That would just make that would be better for me. And I think that was part of what I didn't like about um, the, you know, Star Wars having the older characters in was Harrison Ford 
running around and doing things that like you just shouldn't, you know, it's like, why, you know, like Han Solo could still be a really great guy for just his like wit. Yeah. I think part of that was that they just didn't give those older characters enough maybe in, in force awakens. Um, I think it was just, they, they were, they did feel like they were kind of standing around like, all right, well, what should we be doing in comparison to like Ray and Finn and Poe who were just like so captivating and, and clearly the stars I think in, in in the case of an Indiana Jones five, he's you're there for him. So it'd be interesting to see what he does with that. If it, if it still retains that feeling of like, oh, you're just kind of standing around in there, or if they really let him like chew the entire film and be the film, you know? Yeah. How do you feel about Indiana Jones five, John? What are the actual fucking odds that that movie is going to be anything but we what we all know it's going to be? I yeah. mean, how did it go for John McClane? Probably worse than any other example. Do we seriously want to pretend this isn't going to be like Terminator 4 or like Die Hard 5? Ooh, man. And it's, you're not going to be sitting there and they're going to be running the script past marketing. You mean Terminator And running it 5. past the... Uh, pick any of the yeah. later ones. <laughs> any of them. But you, did you see the most recent Terminator? Because that no, was like... fuck no, I didn't see oh that. Oh, my God. You have to at least just see the opening because... It, there is no force... On the, Zeus could come with a fucking lightning bolt and I would not watch Terminator 5. It is 5. the most direct-to-video feeling studio release I've ever seen in maybe my but entire my life. my point is we know exactly what it's going to be already. Well, you know, and we can talk about, oh, maybe they'll make him like this or make him like that. But no, they're not. They're going to sit there with the script, with marketing and with the uh, their script doctoring guys, and they're going to figure out how to make it as much like the old ones as possible. Yeah. And then they're going to pull it out and it's going to make a lot of money, but not as much money as the last one. And if it makes enough, they'll do another that'll make a lot of money, but not as much money as the last one until everybody hates the character, which like I'm almost at that point from the fourth one alone. I'm two for four with them already. You don't like Temple of Doom? No. I mean, are we going to pretend? That's my favorite one. Are we going to pretend they're not going to turn him into Die Hard again? We saw all this happen already. I know what happens when they bring in... A, I like a the character based, a like single character, yep. character based action movie back again and again. We kn- we know this game. We we're, saw it with Dirty Harry. We're kind of burying the lead because Jenna apparently likes the fourth one. I like it. It's you fun. Like it? it was good times. You like those ants and those monkeys? Yeah. <laughs> that movie looked <laughs> you know like trash. I yeah. mean, it visually, didn't look, it, it visually was ugly. Fucking horrendous looking movie. But I feel like, didn't we talk about this at one, at one podcast episode about like how people got pissed about the aliens and it was like, no, that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. Yeah, but that doesn't mean the rest of it was any good. No, I thought it was fine. But I mean, like, was it, you know, yeah, it's a, did I need it? No. <laughs> I was fine with like the whole Roswell setting and the aliens and like, that was fine. Like I, that wasn't ever my issue with it. And even like the most hated thing in it which was the refrigerator thing that was like one of my favorite parts i thought that was good too yeah, yeah. the bigger problem was the action was bad and boring and ugly yeah. and it was the structure ugly. was stupid and it's just they didn't really do anything to make it worth being there and being so big and towering and expensive and mm-hmm. but we see the shit i mean jesus christ remember the highlander sequels remember the dirty harry sequels yeah remember dirty harry only gets better pick them no no it doesn't <laughs> We were talking before about how all the Dirty Harry sequels the would make great band names. Oh, yeah. Sudden Impact. I mean, they already have Drowning Pool, but they picked the worst one because Sudden Impact or Magnum Force are like, those are hot band names. Magnum Force, I probably have that on my iTunes right now. They're yeah. a power metal band. They're a little speedy. The singer goes high. It's all the shit I love. 
Yeah, super like uh, airbrushed cover. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, what is there to say about Indiana Jones that we don't already know is going to happen? Well, it's the same screenwriter as uh, 4, apparently, which I don't know why they didn't grab Darabont. What was it, David Cope? Da- yeah, David Kep, I think Kep, it's pronounced. Kep. But uh, yeah, why didn't they grab Darabont? I don't know. I mean, because they have no incentive to. The trouble yeah. with these movies is, you can see it with Batman now, the Batman-Superman movie, everybody's like trying to figure out why it's so apparently bad in the way that it's apparently bad, which seems so counterintuitive, you know? But like, everything makes sense from the perspective of looking at these movies as what they are, which is that franchise filmmaking on that level, and there's no hiding from it, is making commercials. Batman brings in a half a billion dollars a year in merchandising every year. Spider-Man brings in a billion dollars a year every year. Yeah, it's a commercial so, for the yeah. property. I mean, they could keep making Spider-Man movies and they could lose money every time, which they never have, but they could lose money every time and it's still financially viable for them to keep making Spider-Man movies. Well, look at all that Deadpool merchandise. I mean, everybody was buying Deadpool shit. Yeah. I think that was like a huge uh, kind of wake up for the studios where they were like, you know what? If a character just looks cool enough, everybody's going to buy the shit. And if the movie's like a little bit better than expected, it was like, yeah. I feel like Deadpool was what happened with Iron Man all over again. Where yeah. like, it wasn't a property that was really cared about. And then it just, it did extraordinarily yeah. well. And it'll be interesting to see what they take away from the success of Deadpool. The takeaway will be what it always is, which, which is what's happening with another Indiana Jones. They're going to pull out every property that they think has the slightest bit of name recognition. Right. Because Hollywood now really overrates name recognition. And you can see it when they have a colossal failure like Green Lantern or John Carter, mm. that they really overrate name recognition. And they're just going to roll the dice on every one of these that they can as long as possible because the payday, if it comes to what they want, is like $3 billion when you roll in the merchandising and yeah. everything. Here's a thought. Do you think uh, the Hollywood, like, money balls saber metrics are kind of wrong because what you just described about name recognition it's like in Moneyball where they talk about like the big hitters and everybody's overvaluing the big hitters yeah. rather than the people that just get on base well saber metrics is exactly the right word for it yeah i think the 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 trouble they have and a lot of people have said this for a long time even spielberg has come out and said it is um they've never figured out the diminishing returns problem hmm. And it was okay in the 40s when you were doing the fourth sequel to uh, The Mummy, and it only cost like $80,000. So if it does, if it brings in, you know, 30000 or whatever, then all right, fine, you lost some money, but you didn't lose enough to sink your industry. Right. But if you have a summer where like every one of the superhero movies underperforms, that's like billions and billions. I mean, that's... Uh, Companies are go big companies are going down yeah. from that. And it's an inevitability because it's a it's a boom bust. It's obvious. Yeah, it's, we're in a bubble right now. Yeah. And, it, album, and it's bust. not even it's what not, album? Boom bust. By who? Great album, man. Oh, I thought you meant it already existed. Okay. Wouldn't yeah. it be good, right? You wanted <laughs> to hear bust, it. Boom bust, yeah. But it, it's not even um there's not anything you can do about it. It's just cyclical. It's a cyclical industry. Yeah, it's gonna happen. At a certain point, no matter what these movies will stop bringing people in. So then once they do, it'll be like, if it happens fast, it'll be like, you know, four 
movies that when you include marketing cost $400 million fail in a row. Yeah. Which I think we, before Avengers came out, everybody thought that was going to happen. Yeah. And then yeah. Avengers kept Absolutely. it floating for a while. But you remember when there, there was that period where like everything was bombing and then Avengers sort of revitalized the wave. Mm. So yeah, I mean, the, the sabermetrics are wrong for the reason that economics is always fucking wrong in the long run. Yeah. My theory is that uh, until our economy picks up, and we, so that's why we're on this nostalgia trip, is that we have the, this depression, and until we get out of it, we're going to keep having these like sequels and sequels. That's my theory. Because then you have to, once you're out of that depression, at least, like then people want to look towards the future. How do you define out of it? People uh, wanting to look towards the future. <laughs> but I mean, how do you define out of it? Because by a lot of definitions of out of it, we are out of it, and then no, we by got a lot Trump. Of, we got Trump like running for president. Like we're not out of nothing, man. Like we're we have a big depression malaise. But you're t- you're talking about two things, I guess. I'm you're talking, talking about, about more like just a general yeah, feeling. Trump, nobody's pulling for Trump's economic policies. That's not his. No, I'm his talking appeal. about the, the feeling. I'm talking about like you know the, that idea that people are looking at the presidential election and thinking I don't like anybody. You know, like uh, that sort of like that general malaise that we're feeling in this country. Plus, you know, with with terrorism looming you know that's sort of just that 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 funk that you're talking emotional more about funk. A, a literal depression of like of, yeah of minds. see what's interesting yeah. is the a depression of but it's uh, also the last that idea time, that the economy's crashed the last time this situation came up it's kind of fascinating the exact opposite happened for the malaise period it was all the president's men it was the exorcist it was the darkest movies anybody had ever made all in a row and a row and a row. And then when Reagan was sort of on the horizon and things started to pick up, it was Star Wars and um, the 80s. Right. You know, it's funny. It went the other way around. The last big nostalgia wave. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was a very nostalgic movie. It was, people forget now, but it was structurally, I mean, literally based on you could say this scene was from Spy Smasher and this scene was from China with Alan Ladd and this scene is from Secret of the Incas. I mean, it was it was as nostalgia-based as any movie ever. That was 81. That was the year after Reagan was in office and that was when, as we draw the lines, the malaise ended. It's kind of weird. We're going in the opposite direction. Mm. If, you're, if you're right about this, we're going in the opposite direction now. We still have good movies now. But I mean, we still also have these superhero movies. I don't know that, that, that don't thrill me at least. Is there a superhero movie you like, by the way? Yeah, I like the the you know the Nolan Batman. I love the first one. The fir- yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, wait, wait, I, like- I just You're thought of something. As X-Men. soon as you said that, that made me think of something. Most of the superheroes don't make that much money in America. Right. They make them overseas, except like the Nolan Batman movies, which were mad depressing, and the Marvel movies. The the sort of conspiratorial ones yeah, those make more well money here. here. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But a lot of the other ones, it's all foreign market. So it's almost a lot of of the life of superhero movies is going to depend on how accurately can we predict what foreign markets are into. It'll depend on when um, the Chinese middle class uh, gets <laughs> tired of them. Right. Really is what's going to happen. Mm. When the Chinese middle class is sick of seeing giant explosions, then that's the end of a lot of a lot of movies. If you are a part of... And the, not just the superhero ones, but also stuff like Transformers. Yeah. If you are a part of the Chinese middle class, please call in and, and let us know what your thoughts are on... In Chinese. On the caveat is that's mad reductive, but like as a general sort of sketch. Yeah. 
it's kind of no. I want to hear from a, a Chinese listener, a Chinese middle class listener. Uh, give us a heads up on on what you think the trend of uh, what you and your friends want to go see is in I China. Not I don't want no Chinese Americans calling in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you live in China. You listen to the show. Well, no. I mean, you could have you could have roots there. If you, know, you, if, you get, if you get people overseas, if you, if you travel there regularly, okay. you know. I mean, we want Chinese American listeners in general, but not for this question. <laughs> Might have to snip that line. <laughs> All right, we got another voicemail. Let's listen to that one. Hello, Smug Film Podcasters. It is Dan Salisbury. Pardon the wildlife in the background, but it is an election year. What president, past, present, or future, would you most like to see a biopic made about? And who should write it and who should direct it? Thank you, Dan. I kind of like that question. That's interesting. That's hey. a fun one. Yeah. Presidents, little... motherfucker. I mean, this is, this is a, if there ever was a John question, this is a John question. Can I just say, I would love, this is the next trend of movies I'd love to see if, if they did ever, a movie for every president yes. in a row. Oh, that would be the best. That would be fucking great. Whoa. That would be interesting. Can we get rid of this superhero shit and just go start Presidents right? are the new superheroes. That'd that be would awesome. be so good. Oh my God. <laughs> Boy, though, you would hit a real rough patch after you got through, like, <laughs> the Founding Fathers era. That when you started yeah. to hit, like, the 1820s. That's why it would Those be would be so the ones good. everyone would skip. That Franklin Pierce one. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's gonna you know what would be a great one, though? Polk. He's not my answer, so don't count this. <laughs> okay. But Polk would, would, would have a really good movie about him. You know, the only reason I know that Franklin Pierce exists is because I got saddled with him in, like, elementary school when every kid in class had to, like, have a, a president and go up and say some facts. Every and other kid to beat got Bill Clinton and you got... <laughs> you got I got uh, I got Van Buren for that assignment, and I think it really made me the person I am today. Yeah? Because it was first grade, and I learned that Van Buren did the Trail of Tears. Mm. I was like, well, T.O., <laughs> <laughs> And I really, what's this all about? Big part of my authority thing, I think, was that that assignment. Yeah, I don't remember anything about Pierce really, but I, I do remember that my teacher kind of gave me a pass because she knew that I got saddled with a shit one. So like, <laughs> oh, I, that's bullshit. I like barely did <laughs> did the work. That's four years of history. There's do the goddamn work. <laughs> stuff happened. Even Buchanan, stuff was happening. But yeah, Pierce would obviously not be my my pick. I'm I'm sick of Pierce from that event. But, Done with uh, him. As a culture, we've had enough of Franklin Pierce. <laughs> yes. I think we can say we're all sick of hearing about Franklin Pierce every single day. But uh, my pick would be uh, Obama, and I want uh, Mario Van Peebles, because I want like a Panther kind of take on Obama. I want like a, 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 a tall tale. Is this because you don't know any other presidents? <laughs> You've exposed me. Did you just Google me. who president is? <laughs> I, I I Googled the exact phrase who president is <laughs> and uh, and that came up. But I think that George Bush comes up if you Google that. I want a very not factual take on like the 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 beginnings of, like of a, Barack Obama. The like kind of kind of based on like him as like a community organizer, etc. Because I, I first of all, I love the movie Panther. I think the brilliance of that film is that it captures the kind of like rumor aspect of the black panthers where like you don't know what what's true and what's false and it's all kind of lumped together and it's all tall taley and i, I kind of want a tall tale version of uh barack obama's kind of like rise to like running for president i don't really care so much about a movie about him as president 
But I like the idea of like an origin story handled with that kind of like Panther Mario Van Peebles flair. So that would be my choice. That would be awesome, actually. Yeah, that would be pretty cool, right? I want um I want a Wait, movie. <coughs> nice coffin loser. So hostile. That's what you said to Dracula, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jenna, please. I want a movie uh f- about what what I fucked it up. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I want a movie about Woodrow Wilson. And I want it to be, I have two options. I think I, I think my ideal version would be written by the Coen brothers, written and directed. But then my other option, maybe depending, would be Wes Anderson, but he'd, it would be really out of his box. It would be written by the Coen brothers, but directed by Wes Anderson. But here's what I want about Woodrow Wilson. So you want Wilson. a movie that would never happen. Here's what I want about him. <laughs> This guy had so many health issues his entire life. Like when he was like a child, he like couldn't like, I think it was something like he couldn't speak like until he was like much, way much older than most kids are. He couldn't read until he was like 12 or something. He couldn't speak until he was like six months, 12 months. <laughs> no, it was I like, mean, he was a he fucking was like nine. Yeah, he couldn't walk when he was born either. He was like nine months. or six. It was something he, he was, wasn't eating solid food for a while. He yeah, was a fucking idiot. He didn't have no teeth. And then later, you ain't got no teeth, baby. Before he, he even, was a fucking pervert too. He used to suck on his mom's tits. Oh my god! I let you talk it's, about it's Obama. Disgusting. Before, basically, he he continued to have strokes throughout his entire life, like up until like he was being elected president, and he was having strokes where he couldn't like walk Jesus. for months, and like he went blind during his presidency, and he didn't tell anybody. And his wife knew about this shit and she was constantly terrified for him. And she was like, he's going to die any fucking day. It's like Roosevelt and Kennedy. And he would, he would never, ever like, it just, it kept happening. And it, you know, and he kept recovering like, (laughs) like against all odds, everyone was like, oh no, he's going to die. He's, he's dying. Nope. He's dead. And then he would like have this major stroke and then come and bounce back and then still be a successful, you know, president. Like he'd still do his job. He wasn't like, you know, missing days constantly because nobody knew about it. Like, Mm. I mean, doctors knew about it, but it wasn't like, you know, public knowledge. And like, I think that it would be a great film to follow his life and have the beats of his life be every stroke that he has. <laughs> so it'd be this sort of dark comedy, but nice. it would also be about showing how he pushed through it and would accomplished stuff. Would the theme song stuff. be stroking? <laughs> yeah, I'd be stroking. That is kind of Coen Brothers though. The Yeah, it would be that, that take on it. That yeah. sort of a serious man kind of beats, mm. but it would be about like every time you think, up, oh, he's going to fucking die and like, <laughs> nope, he would like recover and then like accomplish something really tough. Hmm. And so then, it, and then he died, he dies of a stroke, I think after World War One. actually immediately after World War One, he had a really big fucking stroke and everyone knew about it. And then from there, apparently all he used to do is drive around in a car and catch speeders hmm. and call the cops on them. <laughs> so it was just great. Like, it's just, he's such a, a weirdo. Yeah, that's, that's. And so I would love to approach it from like the, the fact that like, he was this strange guy that just kept fucking living. Yeah. Somebody's got to do that. You got to mind that. Yeah. And then eventually he just like, and as he keeps living, eventually he dies and like, that's it. And he died pretty young from a stroke. So I think that would be a really interesting, strange kind of beat movie mm. that would, that would be fun and put a nice spin on Walter Woodrow Wilson. Who's the one who had the big cock and he would show it to everybody? LBJ. LBJ, yeah. Give that one to Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. I want to see the Boogie Nights There's version There's no of missing that. with an LBJ movie. Yeah. Like, it's weird <laughs> that there hasn't really been an LBJ movie because it's the easy... I mean, anybody could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just grab a rand off the street and he'll make an incredible LBJ movie. <laughs> what would be your pick, John? 
Well, I got a lot of options that I would like to throw out for other people if they want to do one, but there's one that only I'm going to do. I think, as I said, Polk could make a really interesting movie because the Mexican-American War was basically eerily accurate to Iraq. Hmm. And he was uh, George W. Bush. Like, exactly. So, like, and I, any wannabe Oliver Stone out there, do the Polk bio that right. nobody's done. And I think you could make a really good comedy about how fucking weird Coolidge was. Yes. <laughs> Coolidge was- That would be good. Yeah, super bizarre, super funny. You could make, like, a nice, quirky Coolidge movie. <laughs> My pick- uh, and it goes back to the whole Franklin Pierce thing, actually, is I think some of the the lesser known presidents, actually all of them. I mean, there's no reason I don't think everybody should know as much as possible to everybody who ran the country, because like a lot of these little one offs have really interesting histories. And one of my favorites is Benjamin Harrison, who nobody knows shit about Benjamin Harrison. But when you really start to look at Benjamin Harrison, he was like one of the best fucking presidents we ever had. Hmm. He, and really in a very interesting way, he was a civil war hero and like mad, devout, um, like super religious, the same way Jimmy Carter was. And he beat incumbent Grover Cleveland. And uh, it was like in this period where there were a lot of conservative presidents in a row. And it was really kind of like a sleazy Tammany Hall kind of a period. So he just starts like busting up trust. He's got these great antitrust laws. Um, he, he starts... Um, this policy of, um, this is when they, they still, this was a few decades at most separated from the Plains Wars. So he starts to really try to integrate um, native communities into the country. He he's, he's, has this big push for building schools in uh, reservations and trying to give, and, and plumbing and everything, and, and giving um, native land the same sort of structural access that the rest of the country has so that there's not this big divide. And he also built tons and tons of schools in those poor black neighborhoods that this was um, the beginning of the period that they call the nadir of American race relations, which lasted until World War II. I mean, just a terrible, terrible time for uh, race relations. But he really pushed to have all these schools built in these black neighborhoods because he really believed that, you know, like, education was the the great uplifter in america and um he he had he he was very uh, he had this great almost obama like foreign policy you know where he he tried to communicate a lot with a lot of foreign leaders and and never tried to be belligerent but you know like wouldn't bend either you know it, it was this sort of non belligerent just access he, he was very big on on access uh and he was a tremendous president and then near the end of his first term his wife dies and um, he's technically up for election the second term, but he doesn't leave to go run. He uh, he's in mourning. So he refuses to like go. Um, so he, he runs this campaign where he never actually shows up. He never, he never gives a speech. He never shows up anywhere, never does anything. He, he's just on the ticket and he's, you know, like crushed. And a lot of people wonder, you know, like whether he wanted to be president again because of this. The way Biden now, he wouldn't do it because his son died, you know, like whether the grief was just too much for him. But this is the reason Grover Cleveland is the president who had two terms non-consecutively. Because Benjamin Harrison would have won a second term, but he refused to run because he was heartsick over his wife. That's also very cinematic. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's your second uh, half of the film. So Grover Cleveland comes back on this policy that was kind of like Reagan's of like, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And the answer was yes. 
But if nobody's going to sit there and argue it, you know, he can fucking talk people into anything. Yeah. So like the first year Grover Cleveland's in office, he strips all these schools out. He puts all the trust back. He, every, every good act Harrison does, he undoes them all and basically robbed him of his legacy, mm. which is a big part of the reason we don't remember him because of Cleveland. Wow. And then years later, you know, like two or three years into his, his term, everybody really started to miss Benjamin Harrison again. <laughs> and they had all these newspaper articles coming out where people were talking, you know, they were like, man, we really fucked that election up. And it's just this like weird event in American history that has a lot of resonance with you know, how things still go. This was the beginning of modern campaigning. Uh, if this was 20 years earlier or, or 30 years earlier, it wouldn't have mattered whether he went out or not. Right. But it was the beginning of modern campaigning, so he had to. And it was um, the beginning of dealing with a lot of these issues, like the trusts that are still kind of a huge problem, this corporate regulation. So it's this this time that has a lot of resonance, but no parallel in the sense that there's nobody else that that ever happened to. It sounds like a Spielberg movie. I don't want anybody else to do it. Everybody can fuck off. I'm doing it. This is a John <laughs> Domingo project. Uh, sounds like a Spielberg movie. Well, give, no, everybody can to, fuck off. Give it to John Domingo. I'm going to do it. Who who else is campaigning for this film? He is. It's his movie. Judd Apatow. I don't believe might it. Be. I don't believe it. It's interesting because the, the resonance, I mean, I thought about him a lot um, in the past few years because there's a, there's, Parts of what he was talking about that are like eerie, how how uh, accurately he he puts something that's still a problem. In his first inaugural, which remember was this is eighteen eighty nine. Let me read this paragraph because you you're not going to believe this was that long ago. If our great corporations would more scrupulously observe their legal limitations and duties, they would have less cause to complain of the unlawful limitations of their rights or of violent interference with their operations. The community that by concert, open or secret among its citizens, denies a portion of its members their plain rights under the law has severed the only safe bond of social order and prosperity. The evil works from a bad center both ways. It demoralizes those who practice it, and it destroys the faith of those who suffer by it in the efficacy of the law as a safe protector. The man in whose breast that faith has been darkened is naturally the subject of dangerous and uncanny suggestions. Those who use unlawful methods, if moved by no higher power than the selfishness that prompted them, may well stop and inquire what is to be the end of this. That's like the past six years of demonstrations. Yeah, other than being more eloquent, obviously, and yeah, it's 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 pretty eerie. That's um, That's Black Lives Matter, the whole bit about the bad center. You know, and demoralizing people into the efficacy of the law. And that's uh, the um, Occupy Wall Street stuff, the beginning, the corporations. I mean, that's that's post-collapse American discourse. But nobody knows about it because for some reason, nobody gives a shit about the non-wartime presidents. John D'Amico, Benjamin Harrison Project. Be hair. Beware. Be hair. Beware. Is that the tagline? Yeah, it's coming soon. Well, maybe maybe sit on the tagline. No, maybe. that's it. No? Okay. I already got the t-shirts. All right, Benjamin Harrison, greatest living president, right? No? Benjamin maybe? Button. Well, is he the greatest president? No. Is, is he the greatest living president? There's two problems with that. <laughs> really? Um... I'll explain it later, but okay. there's two basic problems. All right. He's, he'll, he'll inform me why that's inaccurate. We'll walk through it. But uh, thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye.